Uh, Today's scripture is Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. New Year. We've got, uh, what, tomorrow's the New Year's Eve. So this is a classic time when people are making New Year's resolutions. I don't know if you've made yours yet. Uh, But I thought it'd be fun just to take a moment to look at the top uh, New Year's resolutions. What I mean by that is not the best, but the most popular New Year's resolutions. And so I went online and I found the top ten. Now, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to guess some of them. <clears throat> okay, so is anybody bold enough to take a guess? Think about it for a moment. What might be in the top? <laughs> Lose weight, huh? Let's see. That was number three. How are... Exercise. Um, wow. Oh, yes, number two. <laughs> you guys are doing well. Be nicer. Be nicer. Um, uh, there is something along that line. Kind of help others. Help others is number nine. Save money. Save money. That's not here. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, number seven is get out of debt. Very good. Get organized is number ten. Wow, you guys are good. Anyone else want to try? What's that? Better prayer life. This was uh, on the line. We got that here. There we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. It was 10, get organized. 9, help others. 8, learn something new. 7, get out of debt. 6, quit drinking. 5, enjoy life more. 4, quit smoking. 3, lose weight. 2, exercise. And one more time with friends and family and church. Uh, so I, I thought today th- this is a classic time to think about the year ahead and maybe for us as a church to make some resolutions. Now I'm not talking about resolutions in the sense of this will be our vision, this is how we are going to flesh out the vision this year. That is actually going to come over the next month. In January, Pastor Brandon will be preaching on our vision and the implications a movement of the vision in Westgate Church for our year year ahead. So this sermon is actually a preparation for that series where in which we will look at the environment or the context in which our vision has to be fleshed out. And I can really see them in terms of resolutions 
that we make as a church, not about exactly what we're going to do, but about committing ourselves to the context of what God wants us to be as we move forward in our vision. And I thought the perfect passage to to set that context is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, which is the tremendous doxology that really pulls the entire book together. And when we realize that the book of Ephesians is really capsulizes the Christian life and what God has done in salvation to bring us to him and what he wants to work out through us, but not just our personal Christian lives, but also the church and how he founded the church by breaking down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, incorporating us into one body, which is the body of Christ. And so he praises God as he looks at what God has done in bringing us individually and us as a church to himself. He praises God now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or think. Be glory in the church, in Christ Jesus. But then he goes on, that passage becomes the foundation for which we are going to live out what God has called the church to be and how we live out our Christian lives. And so I think it's perfect to look at those, these two verses and look at resolutions we might make to be that context, that environment out of which God is going to grow Westgate Church into to his body as he would have us to be. Uh, one thing I note about all of these, actually there's four things I note about all of the resolutions we looked at in contrast to what we're going to see in this passage. First, all of our resolutions really primarily look at something that is going to either benefit us or enrich us. Whereas we look at this doxology, we're going to see really the benefit is to God and his glory. All of these resolutions we make are accomplished by self-effort, self-determination. This is what I will do. But in this doxology, what we see is this is what God will do and can do through us. Third, all of our resolutions are accomplished as individuals. This is what I will do. But in this doxology, we see what God wants to accomplish is not so much through the individual, but through the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And fourthly, we see that our resolutions are limited by our personal capabilities. And what we see in this doxology, there are no limits because what God is going to accomplish is not according to our power and strength, but according to his. The only limit on what can be accomplished is God's will. So let's pray as we dig into this passage. Our Father, we, we thank you for all that you have done for us for the life changes you have made and for the life offerings that you have before us. But Lord, may we treasure the gift giver greater than the gifts you've given. Even as we see Paul in this passage, he, as he looks at the gifts, 
of salvation and new life. He comes before you to praise your name, to exalt your name. May we be this kind of people. May this passage draw us into this kind of life. In Christ we pray. Amen. So I really want us to consider four resolutions in light of these two verses today. The first is that we believe God can accomplish more than we can think. See, we often limit ourselves to looking at our resources. How many pastors do we have? How much money are we going to get? What gifts do we have in the congregation? And maybe we can gradually grow. And God says, I have unlimited resources and power to work in your life, for I have already done that work in your life. God wants us to know the power that we have. Uh, Pastor Brandon began with the, the call to worship from chapter 1. And it said this again, that I pray that you might know the power of God according to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that worked in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So from the very beginning, one of the things he's praying for us is to know God's power. And so we move into this patch and it says, Now unto him who is able. Now, Paul could have described God in many different ways. Now unto him who saved us. Now unto the Holy One. Unto the, the almighty just God. All, unto the creator of the heavens and earth. But here he has chosen to zero in on the power of God. Now unto the one who is able. Able to do what? Able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So let's pause there for a moment. Can God do what we pray? Yeah, he says right there, I can do what you ask. Can God, is God even limited by our prayers? Can he do things that that we're only imagining and not asking for. No, it says he can do what we ask or pray. But he doesn't limit it to what we, we, see, we ask or imagine. He doesn't limit it to that. He says God can do beyond what we ask or think. But he doesn't stop there, does he? He says God can do abundantly beyond what we ask or think. In fact, he had to make up a word. There was no such word that could capture the magnitude of what God is trying to get across in the power that he has to work in our lives and through his church. And so in the month ahead of Pastor Brandon starts to lay out what God might do at Westgate Church. Are we going to say, nah, I couldn't do that? No, we don't, have, we don't have the ability to do that. We don't have the resources to do that. 
It's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon God. And the fact that it is God's power should remind us that the very foundation of all we do has to be prayer. We need to be on our knees, calling upon God, uniting with him to work through us as a body. See, we can easily limit ourselves if we don't believe God can do it. Uh, I came across this interesting uh, fact. That is, the, the great white shark, you know, the shark of the jaws, can grow up to 21 feet. The biggest they found was 21 feet. So that is seven yards, starting here, one, two, three, four, five, six. You better add a yard down there. Okay, almost the entire length of this platform and 3,500 pounds. Now, when you raise the baby white shark in aquarium, they average 12 to 14, 12 to 15 inches. And 15 to 20 pounds instead of 3,500 pounds. This powerful, massive fish becomes so tiny because of the environment in which it is placed to grow up. So the question is, what environment are we growing up in at Westgate Church in regards to what God can accomplish? And Paul says now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or imagine. That is what God has called us to. Sue Forson shared in last Sunday's prayer meeting of the time when uh, George Allegro was given little to no hope to live. And the church had gathered a prayer meeting and, and everyone was praying. And everyone was praying, God, comfort the family and be with George and, you know, may your presence be with him. And John Tertianitz got up and said, do we believe God? Let us start praying in faith for George's healing. And the entire prayer room changed and started praying for things that we couldn't accomplish, but only God could accomplish. And George, did it work? Uh, <laughs> thank God. So what environment, as we are given this vision over the next month, what environment are we going to be swimming in as a church in regards to our faith in God? Second resolution we see here is are we committed? Let's be committed and let's be about God's glory. Not our personal glory, not the glory of Westgate Church, but God's glory. I say that because that's what this is. It's a doxology. Doxa is the Greek word for glory. It's a word of glory to God. Now unto him who is able. Let us give him the praise. And it says, what? May glory be to God and then the church in Christ Jesus. 
See, this is all about the glory of God and needs to be all about the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14. The Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Chapter 3, when he's now talking about the church, he says, God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to the eternal purposes, that God's glory might be displayed, not just in the earthly realms, but in the heavenly realms. It is about God's glory, and that's what we must unite with, making it about, having it be about him. Now, I remember the the opening words to Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life is, It's not about you. Those words really say it, don't they? It is not about you. And ultimately we're saying it is about God's glory. What's interesting is when I accepted Christ as my Savior, it was a little booklet of four laws. And the first law said, it's about you. It said, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I I was captured by that. You mean God is all about me? He loves me? He has a plan for my life? I bought into that. And then I read Rick Warren and says, it's not about you. What is it? Is it about God, or is it about you? Is it about me? The answer is, yes. It's both. You see... It's God who is about me. It is he who so loved the world, he who so loved me that he gave his only begotten son. It is me that Jesus Christ came for and said, I want you to have an abundant life. And because God is for me, I don't need, if I really believe that, that God is for me, then I don't need to make my life about me. I can now become what God meant me to become and make my life about him. Think of the eternal triune relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each looks out for, loves, and glorifies the other. So Jesus doesn't need to sit there and say, okay, God, give me your glory because I need your glory. He's got the Father's glory. He says, Lord, glorify me that I may glorify you. My life, any glory I get, I want because I want to glorify you back. I don't need to look out for my own personal interests. You don't need to look out for your own personal interests and make your life about you if you've got God doing that. That frees us to be what God intended, that same kind of relationship Jesus had with the Father, the Son had with the Father, we can have with him. And make our lives 
all about God. Have we experienced the love of God to that depth that we can't help but turn it all back to him and make it all about him? And this passage says, I want you not just to do that as individuals to glorify God. Glory be to God in the church and in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to our third resolution. Do we resolve to be the church God would have us to be in order to glorify him? You know, I still have a lot of trouble not being jealous of larger churches or critical of them because I feel I have to put them down so somehow Westgate's church seems better. That I have to speak up my church and kind of close my ears when I hear about the wonderful things God's doing in other churches. I've got to say that's still in me, so pray for me. That's not about God's glory in the church. That's about what I'm looking for is glory to Westgate Church through the church. And we have to get, I have to get, and if you're with me at all, we have to get beyond that, that it is nothing about the glory of Westgate Church in any way. It is all about the glory of God through us. And this doxology comes at a very critical juncture in the book. It's the pivot um, where God has talked about what he has done. And you know what he said we are? He said, you are the body of Jesus Christ. That's why he says, glory to God in the church and in Christ Jesus, because there is no separation in regards to the manifestation of Christ in this world than in how he is viewed through the church. We are the presence of Jesus Christ in this world. We have to be a body that glorifies him. In what follows this doxology, he immediately says, now I want you to walk worthy. And what he says is, I need you to be united. I need you as a church to be a reconciled people. And I know it's hard. That's why you're going to need forbearance. You're going to need humility. You're going to need grace to give an abundance of forgiveness because we all hurt each other. We're sinners. He says, you guys need this because you have to be living out of the bond of peace because it is that unity which is a testimony to the world of the living reality of Jesus Christ. Jesus said it himself in his prayer to the Father. I pray, Lord, that they, my disciples and all who follow, every disciple down through the generations, might be one, Father, as you and I are one. Did you get that? He doesn't pray, I want you to be one. We get this earthly mindset about one is. We're nice to each other. We'll pat each other on the back. He said, I want you to be one as the Father is one with Jesus. That's the oneness God's called us to. That means reconciliation. That means forbearance. That means forgiveness. That means humility and gentleness. And then he goes on in chapter 4. 
And he says, and I gave gifts. Gifts that work together so that you build up each other into a living body of Jesus Christ, into the, the temple of God that glorifies God till we, in maturity, reach to the fullness of Christ himself. Is that what we are about as a church? So connected, so united, so integrated with each other, so lifting each other up, walking with each other to help Christ mature in each one of us and across all of us as one. And then what an incredible explosion we would be out into a world that so desperately needs Jesus Christ. So what we said this morning is Let's think of the environment in which we're going to flesh out the vision of Westgate Church. Do, what do we believe about God's power? What God will work at Westgate Church? It's beyond, exceedingly, abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. Secondly, it's about God's glory. And if it is about God's glory, then we need to be the church that God's called us to be. This is beyond us, is it not? In fact, that's why he he prays earlier in chapter 1. He says, I I pray that you might understand the power of God that's working in you. This is beyond us. This has to be a work of God. And now you may be sitting there saying, okay, yeah, yeah, it's got to be a work of God, but I've never seen that happen before in my life, so maybe he's going to do it in everybody else, but probably not me. Okay, you forgot your number one resolution already, didn't you? God can do it. And God wants to do it through you. So, let's try harder. Let's get self-determined like all New Year's resolutions. And we resolve we're going to work harder and maybe we're going to get up at what hour to start praying? And no, no, it's not in this passage at all. You know what is in this passage? Center on the gospel. Sounds like our vision again, doesn't it? Where do you get that? All the verses that precede this. Notice, before this doxology is a prayer. Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit right in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power. Okay, here it is. I am praying that you would have power together with all the saints. We're not doing this as individuals. This has got to be a body thing. Together with all the saints, now you have the power to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of God. Okay, you see what he's praying? I want you to have the power to know how much God loves you. Because it's, we are incapable, we are incapable of knowing how tremendous God's love is. And so we need God's power to know the magnitude of God's love, the heights and depths 
and widths and breadths of the love of God that are found where? In Christ Jesus. What's he saying? I pray that somehow you get the power to realize the gospel, the love that is found at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's because when you realize that love, it won't take self-determination and effort and gritting of the teeth. It'll take an outflow of a love return back to him. There's two ways to live the Christian life. Two ways for the church to live out God's calling to us. One is the way of Odysseus. The other is the way of Jason and the Argonauts. Odysseus, of course, is traveling throughout the known world. Many, many adventures. And he is warned when he comes to the island of the Cyrenes. He's warned about that because they sing this beautiful music, beautiful song, and it, it's so beautiful, it drives the sailors crazy. And they, they all go mad and they crash their ships against the ship, uh, against the, the rocks. And so Odysseus uh, warned of this. He says, okay, I want you to tie me to the mast. So if I go crazy... I won't be able to do anything. And uh, no matter what I say, no matter how I threaten you, leave me tied to the mast. And he says, now, I want you to put wax in all of your ears. And so they waxed their ears. They went through by the sirens. Odysseus goes mad up there, but the sailors don't hear him. They don't follow his orders, and they make it through. And very often, that's the way we view the Christian life. You know, let's shut our ears to everything around us that's evil. Let's tie ourselves to the mast of the law of God, and we'll make it through. But then there's the way of Jason and the Argonauts. Jason's way was, as they traveled by the Cyrenes, Orpheus picked up his harp. And Orpheus played such incredibly beautiful music, the sailors all paid attention to Orpheus's music instead of the beautiful song of the Sirens. And that's the way they made it by the Sirens. That's the way of the gospel. It is not tying ourselves to the law and to our self-efforts. It is hearing the beautiful song, the beautiful music of the gospel that so captures our hearts the calls of sin, the calls of selfishness go unheard because the gospel is the beauty that captures our hearts and lives. Let us, as a church this year, resolve to trust God who's shown us the greatest love at the cross, the greatest power through resurrection, that he can do anything he wills through us. Let us resolve, continually remember it is about God's glory, not ours, to resolve that the only way that's going to happen through the church is for us to be the church he's called us to. And ultimately, 
that God might get the glory rather than me because I tried hard and I, I really worked hard and, and we did wonderful things at the church because of all the effort and money we poured in. That's glory to Westgate Church. That's glory to the pastors, to, to us as individuals. But the glory be to God because we live for him as a church out of love for him because he first loved us which is so evident on the cross of Jesus Christ. Our Father, how can we say thanks? Just through our lives. The greatest thanks is to receive all that you offer in Christ. To receive the fullness of forgiveness, the freedoms that you offer by your spirit, the opportunity to be transformed by your spirit. Lord, let us receive these gifts and then allow them to be set free in our lives and in this church to the praise of your glory. Amen.